This episode of the Braving Business Podcast is sponsored by, well, me. I'm PJ Benoit, and I've been in the domestic and international logistics space for over 30 years. If you need any assistance with transportation or logistics, my team and I will jump at the chance to help. Whether it be parcel shipments, e-commerce, pallets and freight, full truckload, international air and ocean, imports, exports, warehousing and distribution, or really anything under the logistics umbrella, we got you covered. For more details, please go to shipwithpj.com. That's shipwithpj.com. Reach out to me there. Mention you found me on this podcast for a special surprise. And one last quick thing. If you enjoyed this episode, please stay on after the show to learn more about the Braving Business Podcast and other great episodes for you to discover. And now, let's get the show started. Hello there. Hello, PJ. And you are looking really pale today. I don't know if it's just uh, your shirt is dark and your face is pale, but you are looking you are pale, my friend. Are you all right? Friends like you. Mm-hmm. Nothing like a good friend to kick a guy in the teeth when he's down. Thank you very much. I'm never kicking you in the teeth. I, I'm concerned about your well-being. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm concerned doesn't about he, doesn't he look? Doesn't he look really pale, Jordy? He looks pale, right? Well, I'm sure she'll he'll get over his whatever whatever is going on. Thank you, Jordy. With his buddy, he will get, get <laughs> Thank over. Thank you, Jordy. It. Jordy's my new best friend on this podcast. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, yesterday I got my I got a COVID booster, and it's kind of kicking my butt today. So I'm a little. Oh, a little, really? Man. Wow. How, how, what did you feel? What What did I feel? What are you feeling? Did you Did you oh, I mean, Did just, you have issues in the middle of the night? Or no, 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 just no, today? No, just today. And uh-huh. actually, it was like uh-huh. an hour and a half ago where I was just like, "Got it. Everything's fine." And then all of a sudden, just dead fatigue. That's all. Wow. Well, I'm getting my booster this weekend, so that's yeah. fun. How's um, that? How's that? That doesn't happen in Europe. In Europe, we did it that like like many months ago. Yeah, well, well, you know, the United States, we uh, we we like to uh, make sure that you all over there are not dead, and then if you're still alive, <laughs> then then we go and do our shots. That's yeah, kind of how know, it is, like like those rabbit tests. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we exactly. we do a lot of reiterations, like, hey, here's version, you know, three point two, three point one, whatever. That we, well, we do a lot. Uh, as I'm sure you heard, Jordy, amazingly, this was a, a topic of some great debate in this country, um, oh, yeah. and much less so in Europe, I'm sure, um, about whether or not to get vaccinated. Well, the U.S. I'm not an expert, but everything is polarized. So anything that you bring out, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. you can find yeah. all kinds of opinions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I myself and my wife, and actually, we have a family of seven. So uh, six of us all got COVID early November 2020. So we got the what, what's called the OG, the original gangster version mm-hmm. of COVID. And for my wife and I, it knocked us out for three weeks. Like it was bad hospital hospital trips the whole deal so uh vaccine please i'll take it absolutely all day yeah it's, <laughs> a, couple, day. it's wow. a couple of the, it's, it's a couple of days feeling bad but it's worth it yeah. yes absolutely absolutely well well jordy why don't, why don't we why don't we introduce you a uh, pj unless you were i think you were gonna go i was just about to go there thank you very much i'm well, very excited very, i'm here i mean i'm right here all right come on it. with me uh go for it <laughs> thanks man very excited that we have mr jordy negre who is a former British Telecom and Deutsche Bank executive, who is also the founder and CEO of Dantex Group. And after many years in a corporate environment, back in 2002, 
Jordy decided to follow his entrepreneurship spirit and bet on himself. Awesome. Love that. Nearly 22 years later, Dantex is today a very successful digital communications technology company whose platform combines 3D and cutting-edge back-end data and analytics. Woo! Say that 10 times really fast. Clients and AI. Yeah. Clients of Jordy's firm include great companies such as Siemens, Fujitsu, Microsoft, Deloitte, Novartis, DHL, global insurance giant AXA, or AXA, and many, many more. The, the goal of Dantex and its platform, and now I'm going to be quoting Jordy, is to elevate the relationship between companies, their clients, and their employees through more effective communication and more nuanced, multidimensional storytelling. It's going to be very interesting to understand what all that means. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing more. So, Jordy, it is our honor and pleasure to have you join us today on the Braving Business Podcast. It's my honor to be here, open to any questions and have this enriching debate. I'm going to learn a lot from you guys as well. Well, hope, hopefully we'll be learning more from you, Jordy. Thank you yes. so much for uh, for being with us. And uh, I I, uh, I was excited to talk to you, A, because I, I love Barcelona. You're uh, from Barcelona. I've I, It's one of my favorite cities in the world. Uh, I'm also, I happen to be a fan of Barcelona uh, FC, um, and, uh, I've had the pleasure of, uh, watching some games there, uh, as recently as, uh, last October. So, uh, great to connect with you. And, uh, you've had a, uh, a really interesting career. You started off, you know, doing big corporate, uh, big corporate communication strategy. And then eventually you, uh, leaned into your, what I would call the entrepreneurial itch. I'd, I'd love to understand what it was in your background, in your life that uh, that led you to see running your own business as something you want to pursue, uh, something that appealed to you. Yeah, great question. Uh, these big corporations have many things that are like positive for someone that is young, kind of successful, although I don't like that word at all. Okay, so I'm probably today we're going to like, I'm going to talk about successful stories, but then I'm going to withdraw it because I don't like the word successful. It has some different meanings in, the, in in different cultures. I know that successful in the U.S. it's something very strong. Uh, I try to be more humble and 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 keep it keep it a little bit low. Okay, uh, but it's very easy. I was sacked. <laughs> I was fired from Deutsche Bank. So I was I was not into that leak ass culture that these guys had. I, I could not make it. So there were guys that were doing much better than me. I was very efficient, I think, at my work, at my job, but I was very lousy dealing with this kind of culture in which you have to behave like a a number and mm -hmm. act like 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 by the by the word. I'm I'm not I'm I'm built different. So I realized by that time that they throw me into the cold water uh and, and that was a great opportunity to swim. Awesome. Wow, so interesting. I I would love to hear your definition of success. And by the way, uh, uh, you know, as, as you said that, I I uh, you probably saw me smiling. I wasn't smiling about you being sacked. I was smiling about the uh, similarity of a story of one of uh, of a friend and someone that I admire, uh, Anthony Scaramucci, who famously tells the story of you know how he started his company because he was fired by Goldman Sachs, and uh, you know. He he moved around from one area of Goldman Sachs and ended up at another, but it wasn't because he, you know, uh, he did so wonderfully at it. He actually got fired from one, and and I love that he admits that, tells that story uh, openly. And we're gonna hopefully have him as a guest on the podcast before too long. But yeah, I'd love to understand your definition of success. I mean, I I I, I welcome uh, a broader definition of that word beyond you know that that 
you're kicking ass in, in a professional sense. What, what is success to you? I was born and raised in Barcelona. And, and, and as, as you know, that city, it's like a perfect balance, uh, life culture. So to me, money has never been, or, you know, being in the papers has not been the main thing. I mean, for me, the ultimate goal of having a company or, 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 or being like uh, an entrepreneur, it's to create your own lifestyle. And that is combined of many things together. It's not about being on top. It's not about being on paper covers. It's not about making a lot of money. I mean, uh, I want to work out. I want to hang out with my friends. I want to socialize. I want to spend time with my, with my twin boys. Uh, that for me is success. Um, so it's a combination of different things at the same time. And that's why it's so hard because if you would aim for success just based on your position in a company, I would say that that's pretty easy because you just focus on that and you have just one path. But if you have to combine that with other rich experiences in your, in your life, success, it's not that easy because it's a much more complicated definition of life itself, like, like, like a puzzle, like the perfect puzzle. So do we ever? Uh, achieve the perfect puzzle? I don't think so. Uh, I mean, most of the time, pieces of the puzzle just fall from the from the whole picture, and then you have to search alternative ones. So, success for me, it's just. And again, <laughs> we're gonna go to put into another word that it's not uh, relevant or or adequate, which is happiness. Okay, or to be happy, because what 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 does happiness mean? Right. That's that's a very strong word. So being comfortable with yourself and the paths that you're doing with your loved ones. Hmm. Is that something that you see in, in Europe? Is, is that like a kind of like a, a cultural goal or, um, you know, in, in, in the U S as, as you know, you've spent time here and you understand we, uh, we tend to, uh, I, I'm oh, in New York right now, by the way. So yep. I live in New York, so <laughs> I, I can come, I can compare both you sure. know, cultural aspects. Yeah. Sure. So as you know, a lot of, of what we deem as success, successful people, it all has to do about, you know, accruing physical goods as well as money that, that tends to be the, our markers of success, uh, whether it, whether it be land or, or accoutrements that you can show off, whatever the case may be in, in other places in the world, like in Europe, is that, is that more of a familial thing? More of a, the, the people who are look, looked up to are those, are those the ones that are just more like, uh, just enjoying their day more using the most of their time more with their family and stuff like that. Uh, you brought another topic, which is pretty complicated to explain, which is Europe, <laughs> Europe, <laughs> Europe. It's not easy. Europe. It's a, a, a different number of kingdoms with their own languages, their own cultures. So I could not generalize, uh, as a European, I would say that South Europeans, uh, they try, they try to enjoy their life. And, and of course they don't lose that goal of, you know, of, of, of keeping their wealth and their future, uh, in good shape for the future. But that's not the main uh, obsession. Okay. Uh, so I cannot talk from a Norwegian perspective. I'm not Norwegian. So inside Europe, I would say that different countries would behave differently. Um, but yes, compared to the US uh, mentality and mindset, um, although you didn't raise that specific question, 
it's very radical. It's very, it's very different. I mean, um, and how, how did you, how does that manifest for entrepreneurship, right? So being an entrepreneur in the U S and you've been an entrepreneur in the U S so you, you know what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel? What are the differences? What are the significant differences that you see between being an entrepreneur in the United States versus being an entrepreneur in Spain, for example? Intensity, demand, commitment, um, hours of dedication. Um, so what I'm trying to achieve, it's the perfect combination between the European and the U.S. perspective. It's to get U.S. co-founders on board so that we split that responsibility and I don't play alone by myself the CEO entrepreneurship role with all those cultural implications that I don't have. Mm. in my own body because I'm not American. So what I try to do is to uh, attract co-founders to my company, business partners that are that are more or less seamlessly in mindset um, the way that I am so that we can build up a team and not everything rely on my European cultural perspective into a different country. Sure. Sure. Well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, Side note, real quick, I I always heard it was Bartholoma, not Barcelona, or, or Barcelona. Is, which one is it? Is it is it with a th or with a c? Barcelona would Barcelona. be the right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. So let's let's dive in a little bit on Dantex. Um, yeah. So Dantex Group enables companies to communicate more effectively, and yeah. you're achieving that by by using immersive 3D technology that presents like a really visually compelling messaging uh, for the benefits of clients and their, and the employees. Could you tell our audience what Dantex does outside of what I just said? Cause I'm sure we're, we're not conceptualizing this well, um, but also help us understand what you mean uh, when you say that you help companies communicate better. Okay. Let's start by understanding how well the human brain uh, behaves. Okay. We're multisensorial. We don't read, we don't listen. We need engaging visual impacts to understand stories, okay? So corporations thought that communications was built or was done through machines, not individuals, and they have to treat people, customers, stakeholders, providers, partners as individuals. So what we provide, it's tools, that create interactive 3D virtual environments so that they can showcase their products and services in a much more engaging and compelling visual way to represent those. Either to when, their, when you're saying that, are we talking, is this metaverse? I mean, is that, would that be more uh, commonly referred, referred uh, to as the metaverse? Metaverse, it's a broad term. So it's like a big umbrella. We are positioned within what we would call the corporate metaverse or what some others call the industrial metaverse. So metaverse, you have to be very careful because six months ago it was the perfect pitch. Right now it's the, you know, it sucks. So, so, um, yeah, the concept of gamification, the concept of metaverse, it's a very good concept to explain how people get engaged with interactive, uh, 3D contents and containers that, uh, engage themselves better with the content. Okay. And that's where we are. We're trying to bring technologies that are have been there for many years in the gamification, in the gaming industry, for example, into the corporate world. Of course, not exactly through the same 
you know, real life experience about shooting each other, but to create those experiences that would keep the audience more engaged with the contents that they have to interact with. So give us an example. So in the context of uh, employee training or, or managing communication inwardly as opposed to outwardly, what's an example of, you know, a Dantex solution that that customers are are deploying? Yeah. Uh, let's imagine that you run a medical device company. Okay. You can either pull out a PDF or a PowerPoint. That sucks. It's like page after page after page. Especially on a video call, which is like people that get bored on a video call. They get, they get, they get exhausted. Or you can recreate an ideal interactive 3D virtual hospital and place your medical devices in the areas that they, that those would be in real life and interact with the environment so that you can showcase or you can train or you can onboard those audiences through a virtual concept like if you would be in real life without being in real life. So we are kind of faking uh, through three-dimensional environments the experience that we would have in real life so that we reduce the gap between the real-life experience and traditional formats such as PDF or PowerPoints. Gotcha. And you're saying that uh, there's data that shows that that approach is more impactful of course, for, of course. for retention? Yeah, it depends on the use case. In sales, we have been achieving 28% increase on, you know, on sales. Uh, training and onboarding of employees, it's less um, accurate or less, uh, let's say, it's more complicated to measure because there are many layers of contents related to that experience. Uh, but yes, the outcome is more sales, more engagement, more efficient training, and better onboarding. Got it. Well, let, let's let's step back. I, I I thought it was important for the audience, uh, and I'm glad PJ asked the question. I was going to ask a similar question uh, to understand what you do. And Dantex has been a very successful company, and it's it's been 20 plus years in the in in the making. But I want to actually step back to the beginning. Uh, you started Dantex. Um, uh, I'm sure that uh, as as any entrepreneur, uh, you it wasn't a straight shot to success. Tell us what you know. Were some lessons you learned, maybe the hard way. Uh, particularly early on in your journey? Um, and how did you navigate those lessons? In 20 years, there have been many, many phases. So uh, I'm going to answer to that question in the phase that I'm in right now. Because a few months ago, we decided to move our headquarter company from Barcelona to the US. So I'm kind of like a new entrepreneur <laughs> in the toughest in the toughest market out there. So instead, if you allow me, instead of trying to remember how I felt 20 years ago, I'm going to express how I feel right now. And it's like, you have to calculate which are your options for the future. And, and, and you have to evaluate your technology in the market. So the value prop and the market fit, right? Um, we're going through right now a very difficult um, phase, which is penetrating in the, into the US from a, from from a European company. We some somebody might think that we are kind of from the Western world, but the go to market is so different that there are many things that we are experiencing and learning from the legal perspective, uh, from the anything related to the go to market because the technology is there. So, A/B testing. Um, learning, being humble, uh, 
making a lot of stupid questions to people out there, even if you are the CEO, because those questions, if you don't ask them, you're not going to make the mistakes needed to perform. What what prompted you to make the decision to uh, to move the business from, from Europe to the US, especially after so many years? Yeah. Well, again, like I mentioned before, uh, Europe, it's not an easy uh, compound combination of countries. I mean, if you are not sure. a British, it's difficult to sell in Britain. If you're not a French, it's very difficult to sell in France, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, so there could be like 15 to 18, 20 different combinations of go-to-market. In the US, we have the most powerful economy in, let's say, four-hour window within the same language. Uh, the cultural adoption that we're having in the US, it's better than some, let's say, Southern European countries. And I'm not going to hide that the ultimate goal for our project is an exit. And the venture capital, the stock market uh, here in the US, it's much more, I'm not going to say aggressive, but it has like more clear steps towards an exit plan. Hmm. Very cool. So you've, thank you for sharing your your uh, your challenges and and findings of bringing your corporate uh, entity from from Europe to the U.S. You've also shared in our in our notes. You've shared some significant challenges that you have faced personally in your life. Um, two business <laughs> failures. Uh, you're also not ashamed or embarrassed. Or not ashamed or embarrassed to share that there's bankruptcies. Bankruptcies involved in there as well. How did these setbacks shape your tr- approach to business and to life? And what lessons did you personally take away from those experiences? I think that sometimes when you have those, let's say, hard moments in life, you have to analyze which options, which real options do you have? Because many people think that the easy path might be an option but it's a short-term option. It's not a long-term option. So I am very pragmatical. It's not that I'm being idealistic and I want to pursue my goal and be successful long-term. It's that if I consider the options that I have at my age in different labor situations in, in different countries, it's not that continuing with my project, it's the, the only option that I have, but it's the best option. And it has legs. So. If the market would have told me that what we're doing makes no sense at all, maybe I would change my mind. But every single investor, every single business partner that I find, they're confirming that the way we're going, it makes a lot of sense. And that gives me a lot of strength. So it's the most, the more rational and logical and pragmatical step. It's not an idealistic uh, approach. But but if you step back to the moments where things weren't going right or you were failing, um, is is your is 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 the angle that you took was uh, was it about comparing your option of persevering or starting over with the option of what going to work for someone else? I mean, what what was the calculus that you did to determine what to do uh, when things did not go your way? I think the longer you are your own founder and CEO, the far away you are from the labor market in general. So it's very hard to tell to yourself, no, I'm going to go back and work for that entity. Because even if you try it, your resume tells that you have been an entrepreneur for 
a number of years. So some of these guys will never get back to you. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So and you cannot change reality, but well, it, you can you can fake your resume, but that's not my style. So um so again, I, I think it's like considering the options. Which options do we have when we fall? Okay. We can take different paths. I kept on thinking, and I'm sure that the long term will confirm that the essence of what I built up 22 years ago makes a lot of sense still today. And that that can be applied to the failures that I had before. It was like considering my options. And my options was A, B, C, D. And I think the best options is to raise up and continue with my project, which makes a lot of sense. All right. I think that's that's a very pragmatic. I think you mentioned that before that you're pragmatic and, and yeah. that, that totally shows that. Um how do you, so when you're talking with with your own group with your own employees how do you motivate and inspire your group to embrace challenges and embody that spirit of resilience for their everyday work mm -hmm. yeah having employees it's maybe the most difficult part of having a company um yeah so i forget I, who told me this but there was a statement i heard once that other than the people this is really easy stuff so <laughs> i think i think that's your point so right? true actually yeah. yeah so i'm trying to build well, no i i built a model that it's based on non-employees okay so i either have partners that do stuff for us and and we outsource those technology modules so those are not employees are just outsourced companies. And from the go-to-market, what I'm doing right now is attract business partners, co-founders in the US. And I don't want to treat them like my employees. I want to treat, treat them like leaders and I have to learn from them. So I have a track record. I can you know, teach them a lot of things of what I've did right and wrong in the past. But this new venture that we have right now it's me with potential co-founders creating a thing so that we can treat each other more or less equally. Of course, the CEO at final stage has to make decisions, but I think the motivation has to be with the potential growth of the company. And yes, compensation plan, equity-based at long-term with the exit plan. So you're more or less reinventing Dantex? Is that what you're doing at this point? That is an interesting question. I thought uh, a year ago that I was replicating the idea from Europe into the US and I didn't have to reinvent anything. Then I hit my my face on the wall and I and 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 the market told me that I definitely had to reinvent at least the whole go-to-market. So which which is which means 70% of our let's say company because 30 percent it's software it's out there it's built up it's property protected but if you don't sell that technology does not anything to anyone so a year ago my answer would be now we're just replicating our success story from europe into the us today i'm telling you that i'm on a daily basis rebuilding the whole concept of the company today i had a conversation that from a ownership perspective i had to pivot a lot because i'm not going to go into details but uh but there are 
non-dilutive vehicles that request some legal implications that I was not aware of. Who knows that? Who who would knew that? I mean, coming coming as a new entrepreneur in a new country, you I mean, you face those obstacles or those those realities when you encounter them. I mean, you don't have the whole let's say manual to penetrate into a different country by yourself. And that's why I'm trying to reduce that gap with locals, with executives from here, from the US that can help me run that business without having to have those, let's say, um, block roads. That's really smart. But So you're, you've done something that Tal and I have talked about in the past, which is the pivot, right? You've, you've hit your face on the wall, your words, not mine. Very visual though. Excellent. So you hit your face on the wall and then you can keep doing that or you're going to pivot and you got to turn. How can you take us through that? Like, what was that like? Did, was it like, you know, an instant recognition like, Oh boy, I got to change my whole game plan. Or was it something like, ah, it's, you know, like, like how did you work through that process? Uh, I'm, I'm very bad at many things, but I think I'm good at identifying which are the, uh, the things that will not work. And therefore, try to find uh, solutions to that. Um, so again, just today, I mean, I realized that I need a local co-founder, and that's a real huge pivot. Yeah, pivot process. Okay, uh, it's not only having like co-founders that might eventually be shareholders in the future. No, it has to be right away, right now. Otherwise, you get you can have difficulties to access some kind of. Uh, capital raise. Okay. Uh, so, and that was an hour before this call, this this podcast. Um, I spent like 20 minutes and I made up my mind. And, you know, I mean, I have to pivot right away because, I mean, there's no other way that I could run this business without that role on board. So I changed the priorities of my next few days because that has to be a priority. Otherwise, the rest of the company would not run efficiently. It's amazing. I don't think, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, I did not know uh, any of this coming into the interview. And I find it fascinating. We are actually uh, speaking to an entrepreneur that is experiencing the very challenges that resilience requires. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and we're hearing, you know, uh, a live sounds like a play by play of uh, what happens when you are at a place and in a position where whatever you've done um, needs to be reconsidered. Uh, it makes me think of the discussion we had with Heather Dawson, PJ. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we had a conversation with a, uh, and it's a, it's a, it, that interview is out and I would recommend uh, to uh, the audience that you check out that interview. Heather, who is a very successful entrepreneur, has had three exits from 60 million all the way up to 500 million. Talking about the importance of entrepreneurs listening to the marketplace, listening to their prospective clients, and being prepared to put aside their ego, put aside their predisposition, and pivot if they must. Uh, and it sounds, Jordy, like you uh, don't suffer from a big ego, which I think is great. It sounds like you, uh, despite whatever 22 years of success uh, might have caused you, uh, to believe, um, you seem to me to be taking a very humble approach to this reinvention of the business. Um, why, why, why do, why is that? It sounds like that's 
you know, you, you don't even seem that impressed with yourself that you are able to do that. I, I think it is impressive. Uh, a lot yeah, of people get fall in love with their thesis. It's a, the very quote that I used in the interview with Heather. What is it about you and your experience that makes you, I would say, almost devoid of ego, where you're able to have that have this conversation with us and uh, and not feel like you need to you know pound your chest about just how great you are. Well, and just as to put on that a little bit more, especially when you've had success in the past, right? A lot of people come in, I know what I'm going to do, blah, blah, blah. But you have a track record of success. And then you're facing, you're, you're facing the wall. So yes, I would, I would love to love to dig into this a little bit more. I think there are two ways to answer that. One is personality. I mean, I had a very high ego in the past and I had bad experiences due to that. So I've learned not to keep on. I can relate. (laughs) Mostly Tal. Tal can definitely relate. Mostly me. (laughs) So once you've been like a cocky guy acting like egocentric, uh, you learn that that that's not the, the best way to go in life. So, so I would say that age has told me to behave differently. I've learned. And again, it's funny because I smile when you guys say successful. Successful means different things in Europe and in the US. So I, I'm glad. I mean, I'm, I'm honored to be considered a successful entrepreneur in the US, but I have never had that feeling in Spain hmm. because I failed twice. And in our culture, failing twice means you are the kind of guy that mm, You've not done it. Okay. So it's, 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 I mean, probably one of our listeners, if they have lived in Europe and in the US for a number of years, they can tell that difference. I mean, I love about rebuilding my company here in the, in the US because it's not that I need to be called a successful entrepreneur, but they give me the chance. To start from scratch and 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 to use the tools that I have from the past, um, but again, it's going to be hard for me at my age <laughs> to recognize that I'm a successful guy or successful business owner because that's not on my, on my mindset. Therefore, my ego will be balanced. <laughs> I I think I mean I'm hearing you know I asked your question earlier today about some lessons learned early and and you you went to the lessons that you're dealing with now, but I actually am hearing oh, an an early uh hard-earned lesson and that is about not being egotistical and not thinking too highly of yourself it sounds like you know like many entrepreneurs i certainly would put myself in that in that uh, group um the early days of entrepreneurship particularly if you're successful lend themselves to ego mm. and uh and it does take age and maturity and wisdom and oftentimes getting your ass kicked a time or two to wake up from that mindset and 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 find more balance more humility uh what's what's your reaction to what i just said i don't think it's only a matter of personality it's also that it's bad for the business i mean all those let's say famous failures like silicon valley bank and others i mean you have plenty of failures that came out from non-handling ego 
properly from the founders and CEO of the companies and getting crazy with, I mean, I'm not going to name the company, but there was this guy that was having meetings on his private jet. Okay. I mean, do you have to have like uh, business meetings on your private jet? I mean, I mean, when you're raising money, when you still don't have like traction, when you still don't have like a clear success story, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't do it. Um, so, uh, I mean, if your ego, it's, it's, I mean, if you're not grounded, you're going to have problems either in your professional or personal life. And I don't think that at, when you, when you come, you become older, personal and professional gets like the same thing because it's different to separate them from each other. Great point. Great point. So you've, you've experienced a lot. You've, you've lived through a lot um, and you continue to persevere as a seasoned entrepreneur. This is also something else that Tal and I talked about where you need to really be kind to yourself and focus on yourself and be present and, um, you know, follow mantras that you personally have that help you throughout the day. Do you have any, you know, personal wellness practices or strategies that you use and maintain to cultivate not only who you are, but also your resilience to be able to pivot when that wall comes up. Um, especially, you know, especially when things are going well, like to keep that motivation going. Sure. Uh, workout is essential. Um, being active is something that I, yesterday I was feeling like, shit <laughs> and i joined the club that i love harlem run and we run through harlem streets and that was a burst of motivation and and and, and reality so working out and as a spaniard i need to grab a few beers with my friends once once in a while <laughs> if, I, if i don't have that i mean i i could i mean i could not work um 15 hours straight five days a week or seven days a week and be productive. So I do need to disconnect, disconnect. Mm. And uh, as per today, I'm going to go running at the park and then meeting a friend for a beer. Now, now my family is not here, so I don't have many other options. So, so I have to divide my time with, let's say, intensive work, focus, of course, uh, but I'm not going to be focused tomorrow if I don't disconnect today for a while. Right. That's excellent. Well, I, I think it's, uh, you know, we, we, as I've, as I've shared uh, on the podcast, I, I didn't always have um, the best personal wellness practices. I've always worked out and I, you know, I'm a former athlete, so working out has been part of my DNA, but I, I actually uh, didn't take the time to take care of myself mentally as much as I should have. And, uh, and I, again, I think maturity has a lot to do with it. I'm at a place in my life where I, I echo what you say, Jordy. I don't think that working 15 hour days, day after day after day is a badge of courage anymore. I think it's actually a sign, an indication of imbalance and, um, and is likely to lead to failure more so than success. I, I don't even think that there are stretches of time beyond a few days that people can sustain that kind of a, an approach and have it be productive. So sure, on occasion, you have to pull, uh, an extended stretch of work. But if you're doing that all the time, um, you're most likely, um, as as you say, Jordy, I think uh, more likely to fail than you are to be successful. And and I don't think it's a European mindset versus an American mindset. I think it's just 
a modern mindset, just recognizing, you know, that we, we have a different appreciation for, um, you're, you're calling it success. I would call it work-life balance or life work balance. Um, you know, I think it was, uh, another guest, uh, number one international best-selling author, Blaine Bartlett, who wrote uh, compassionate capitalism, another episode I recommend who, who said we should put, uh, life in front of work it should be life work balance and not work life balance and i think that that sounds like something that that you absolutely believe and live by well i'm gonna share something very personal that a few years people told me why do you share that that it's so personal and say i've learned from that experience so my sister passed away three years ago she was younger than me uh and that was a the best learning experience in my life so it was very rough, very tough, but how can I come, how can I cannot on a daily basis learn what it's suffering and eventually dying than being in this life, regardless how hard it is. So um, I, I share this story, not, not trying to be like negative or to be sad, but, but proud and, and joyful about the, uh, the opportunity that she keeps on like sending messages from above, right? Uh, to keep on doing it. Um, and I'm not a religious guy, so uh, it's weird. It's like it's like something that I that I can feel. Um, and I'm I would say that I'm still here trying to make it happen because partially because of that experience. Well, I'm I'm so sorry for your loss, yes. and and yes. Uh, yeah, and thank you for sharing that. I I, I do think that you know uh, loss, whether it's the loss of uh, a person actually unfortunately passing or the end of a, a relationship or or the end of a business uh um, or some people in your life that maybe were not in a romantic sense but in another sense important to our who move on all those moments are uh you know they're, they they can and should be moments of reflection uh introspection and a reset of some kind yeah. And sometimes the reset is very gentle and other times it's profound. It sounds like you, heck, I mean, choosing, you know, you're, I assume that you're about my age, maybe a little bit, uh, a little bit older, uh, making the choice to, to move, uh, across the ocean. That's no small measure of courage, um, and a, a willingness to take risks. I mean, obviously you're an entrepreneur, so risk taking is somewhat, somewhat in your blood. But, uh, you know, to, to, it takes a lot of courage. Uh, and, and maybe the reflection of your sister's, you know, passing and her experience is making you live a little more. To be honest, I don't think it takes a little, no courage at all. It's just common sense. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's like recognizing what life is. And what are the potential outcomes and how lucky you are? So you don't have to be brave. You don't have to have courage. You just have to move on because there are people that are like, you know, having like a very hard time. So it's just about observing your environment, the reality and acting accordingly. If you're healthy, your family is okay. You have enough money to pay your rent and, 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 and work out and grab a couple of beers with your friends. I don't, I don't think it, it, you, you have to be courage. I mean, it's just common sense. I mean, it's, it's just being, uh, accepting that, that you're in a very good position. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, 
respectfully disagree. I think it does okay. encourage them to move from, I mean, my father moved from Israel to the United States in 1986. He was 40 years old. My mom uh, was 39. Uh, I think it took a lot of courage. Uh, and he was also an entrepreneur. Um, it takes courage to, to be willing to take the risk that you're going to fall on your face. Uh, obviously, it's different when you're not an entrepreneur. If you moved from you know Spain to the United States because you're a part of some big corporation and you were moved here and you had a job and someone helped you, uh, you know, find your place to live, et cetera. That's a different, it's an absolutely altogether different dynamic. The dynamic I'm describing is you're a CEO of a company that's been around 22 years, that's done well, and you've made the decision to move across the pond. Uh, if you don't think that's courageous, my friend, yeah, uh, no. I don't yeah, know. We no. we may disagree on the definition of courage then. <laughs> no, yeah, that's courageous. Yeah. And especially at my age and alone. Yeah. That's no, right. Yeah. That's right. Take the accolades, sir. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? You you told us in the pre-interview, although you didn't tell us what it was. You did say you 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 have a surprise tattoo. I'm a little afraid to ask of what and where it is. Uh, but we'd love to hear what this tattoo is and what the story is behind it, how it relates to your life, um, and where it is in your body. I mean, unless it's you know, unless unless we just can't know that. <laughs> no, you perfectly can can know that. Uh, and I don't know if I can share my screen or not. Uh, you can. I mean, you're on, we, this is on YouTube. So for those of you who are listening on uh, one of the podcast platforms, you you may not see, but we'll we'll try to describe it. We're on Zoom. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, uh, you should allow me to share my screen. Oh, you're talking about putting something on the screen. You know, yeah. I don't know that we could do that. We could try. Okay, don't worry. See. I, I just did. So let's see if that works. Yes, yes, yes. All right. So this is it. Let's see what Jordy shows us. Ah, oh, my goodness. Resilience. So we're going to take a picture of that because <laughs> it is actually. Yeah, I know. Wow, it is a. It uh, it's, is a it's one it of is. your. If one of your. I mean, main. Main yeah, things. Yeah. The word resilience on so, his shoulder. So I'm not I'm, uh, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that I'm. It looks like the African I'm, continent and the lion. Is that what I'm seeing there, or is that Spain? I can't tell. No, no, it's it's, Afri Africa. it's the shape of Africa, a lion. That's what I thought, right? And resilience wow. on top. There are more things in my current tattoo, which is like the names of my twin boys below, but you cannot see that. Uh -huh. um, wow. But but I, I'm not gonna tell you that I receive like podcast invitations like every day, but I accepted this one because you mentioned resilience. On the topic and then i said wow i'm gonna give these guys a surprise which is i have resilient statute on my shoulder yeah so what does this mean the man I mean, literally wow that's yeah, incredible yeah so what's the story behind this i mean that's ironic serendipitous as we would say but mm. what is what's the story what resonated with you about resilience and also the continent of africa the lion what does all that mean to mr jordy okay so I'm Leo, and I identify myself with lions. I love them. I travel to Africa a lot, uh, Namibia, Botswana, Zimbabwe, Kenya. I love that con that country, that sorry, that continent with those Continent's. countries. Um, so I just I just thought that the combination of the lion and the shape of Africa was very cool. Uh, and then the resilience came out later. Uh, based on the episodes that I shared with you guys, uh, and 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 realizing that if I have that tattoo on my body, it's like at least I won't fail because of lack of resilience. I can fail for many other reasons, but even <laughs> even my boys back in Spain, when things are going nasty, they tell me, 
Papa, remember, you have resilience tattooed on your shoulder, so stick to that. So I think it's, I mean, I don't know, it's like to, like a self-awareness uh, thing that you, and I like the word. I, I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have many op- other options in, in this life that, that to be resilient. So again, it's not only that the ideal concept. It's like, man, you have to do it that way or you're, <laughs> or you're screwed. So, so let's remind it like every day. That's awesome. Well, on my wrist, I have, I have stay open. Okay. Um, and, uh, I, I have a number of tattoos, but that tattoo is one of the most meaningful to me because when things are tough, um, we tend to, most human beings tend to, uh, withdraw in one way or another uh inwardly and uh and i i wanted to remind myself and i tattooed it on the inside of my wrist that even when things were really rough and i had my reasons for deciding to put that tattoo on my wrist when i did and i just did it uh less than a year ago um i wanted to remember that no matter what no matter what i'm facing no matter how much pain i may be in or how um how things may look from my perspective at that moment, that I always want to stay open, that I always want to keep my heart open. I want to keep my mind open. I want to keep my spirit open. Um, so I I can relate to, I don't have resilience tattooed on me. Maybe I will, PJ, maybe that will be our dare to each other. We'll tattoo something. Oh my, um, oh my. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I really, I respect that you did that. And I, I get that, I get, I get the, the inspiration of having a word that means a lot. And as you said, what are your choices? Well, look, we all have choices. I love that your perspective is that you don't have a choice, but to be resilient. And I think that's kind of the point of this podcast, right? I mean, I mean, heck, you're already here. We're already here. Uh, if you've already begun a business or you've made a decision to, to launch one, or even if you're not, if you're in leadership position or you're not, uh, being resilient beats the heck out of the alternatives. Yes, it does. Yeah. Even if the outcome, it's like, not a successful story at least you did it yeah. not withdrawing in the middle of the career in the middle of the runway right yeah so i mean yes yeah, i mean success failure those are very let's say strong words depending on the culture you're in um right now i don't have i don't have the feeling that if i would fail i would fail <laughs> within my own words or my own feeling so I, i've tried the best i could uh, so if everything goes well, perfect. Otherwise, we'll find some spot in the Caribbean to retire. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love that, right? Because bravery, bravery really isn't the absence of fear. Bravery is understanding that there is fear and yet still moving forward, right? Still doing what you need to do. And so that's that's wonderful. Yeah, I go through fear every day. Yeah, of course. Of course we all do, which is which is great. And now, uh, thanks to Tal, I have a, I have an excuse to get that tramp stamp I always wanted. So thanks. Thanks, Tom. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. So finally for our listeners, and, and we ask pretty much everyone this question, Mr. Jordy, um, you know, we, we have a lot of listeners who, you know, for entertainment value, they'll listen in or, or just for tidbits on advice or knowledge from an entrepreneur who's, who's done it all. Um, they they may be facing challenges. They may have their own entrepreneurial journeys that are, you know, stagnant or or they can't see past tomorrow. What's the one key piece of advice that you would offer about 
overcoming adversity, building resilience. Like what would you, what would you share to someone? I would share that if they have traveled, beautiful, uh, difficult roads, roads have taken them to beautiful places. So, I mean, and this is a real experience. I mean, I was in Bali sometime with a, you know, a motorcycle that was not even working. And I was going through the jungle and through different difficult roads. And then I hit like, like the sea and it was like an amazing, and, and that, that uh, kinds of like, Brings me back, brings me back that memory that if you go through difficult war, war, uh, war um, roads, uh, you might find uh, beautiful places. So it's it's worth uh, trying. I mean, if you go to Times Square, it's there's a lot of bunch of people there taking photos and, and selfies off of themselves. That for me, that's not a beautiful place. So to find a beautiful place, you have to go through places that people don't usually go through. Very true. It's very true. I I really like that. I mean, I you know I think the point uh, of this podcast and and I think you're you you happen to really uh, be a tremendous example of that um, is that you just don't know uh, where the road that you're traveling will lead. But if you if you're optimistic, and it sounds like you're an optimist, uh, travel that road with the hope and desire and expectation that will lead you to beautiful places and have faith that it will. And, um, you know, PJ and I were having uh, a conversation the other day. We, I was actually the, the interview, the PJ Benoit interview, me interviewing PJ. And we talked about his journey, which, you know, had some, and that episode will be coming out uh, soon. And that episode is tremendous. And I think people really enjoy it. PJ was very vulnerable. Um, a lot of crying, but, well, well, you know what you shared, crying or not, you shared some some very very trying moments in your life, and during those moments, you didn't necessarily see the beauty and the joy and the happiness and the peace that was on the other side. True, you were lucky and you found it. Uh, I think what we're hearing from Jordy is expect it, mm. travel this road not knowing, uh, but believe it. And uh, I don't want to paraphrase Jordy, but it sounds like that's your philosophy. Yeah. In fact, when I saw one of your previous podcasts, uh, I said to myself, man, you're going to cry. <laughs> if you share those deep stories, uh, you're going to break down. Uh, eventually, I didn't. Um, maybe because you guys felt uh, make me feel very comfortable with this kind of conversation. Uh, yeah, but I was not completely sure that sharing some of my heart episodes would not, you know, uh, you know, break me, but it, I, yeah. I, I think I did, <laughs> I did pretty well on that aspect. That's fine. But well, you, know you, what? you did, you did really no, well. I, it, you did it, really it well. Be, and I think no, you I, were I, vulnerable. I would not consider yeah. praying anything negative at all. Right. At all. Right. Right. At I, all. You, literally, that's what I was going to say. I mean, no, 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 I no. can tell you guys that I've had moments in my career and in my life where, and some were not that, not that long ago, to be perfectly candid, where, I cried and I don't look at that as a sign of weakness. I look at that as a sign of strength. And, and also regardless of whether it's strength or weakness, it's what my body needed. It's what my spirit needed. Um, There's absolutely no shame in giving your body and your spirit what it needs. You didn't cry today. Um, If you'd like, we could keep going. I I know we we didn't try hard enough. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I, um, I, I think, uh, I think you were very brave and very transparent and I'm, um, uh, you, 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 I think you gave us uh, a story that will resonate with a lot of people who will really appreciate your candor. So our guest today, Jody, Jordi Negre, uh, who is the founder and CEO of the Dantex group, been around for 22 years, uh, and is reinventing the company, uh, on the other side of the pond. Um, he shared a lot of deeply personal, uh, anecdotes with us and, uh, and we are very grateful. Uh, so Jordi, thank you so much. Keep us posted on on how things go for you, yeah. you and Dantex. We'd we'd love to have you back and and hopefully tell us what beautiful road, uh, what beautiful place you was found on the, as at the end of the road. Absolutely. Well, PJ, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. And that's a wrap, folks. Like what you heard, want to support the show? Please follow our page on LinkedIn and Facebook. Visit us on YouTube, and please like and rate us on all of your favorite podcast streaming services. You can also see exclusive content. Subscribe for free to our weekly blog, support our sponsors, and soon buy our merchandise at www.bravingbusiness.com. Thanks for being a part of our production, and we'll see you next time on the Braving Business Podcast. 